Hey, it's great to be here. We've been doing this series, uh, Go Big. And um, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that so often over the last two years, we've been doing these kind of crazy counterintuitive series. Like two years ago, it was like wide open doors <laughs> and the whole world shut down. You know, and then in December last year, uh, when people are like, man, I'm just hanging out for the end of the year. Can't wait to get through. And we're doing unlocking creativity. Like, we're going to blow this thing open. And then right now, this year, we're doing like, go big. <laughs> Maybe it feels like the only thing that's going big is Omicron. But we're like, no, no, we're going big. And I, and I think, I, I'm kind of joking, but it's like, I think this is really important because we're called actually to, to live by an opposite spirit. We're called not to come under the spirit of the world, but to kind of break out into something really different. And so I love that this time of the year, we are talking about let's go big. And I want to kind of follow that up today because I want to talk about the God of the impossible. And I feel like that could be like, that could just blow up your world and your mind where things have kind of got small. Because I don't know about you, but I think for a lot of us over the last two years, our worlds have kind of got really small. So if you've got family, you know, maybe you just had plans to travel overseas. Well, they've been cancelled. Maybe you've got family in Australia or other places you're planning to visit, haven't been able to see them. Uh, we've got a, we've got a, a, a new kind of coming up for seven-month-old grandson. We didn't see him till he was all, over four months old. My wife, Christine's only visited him once. It's like our world's just got smaller. And so there's something that says, no, no, we're going to break out of that. And, and it's not just our external world, it's also our internal world. Uh, when we did the series on unlocking creativity, I did some research around this guy, um, Professor George Land, who's a professor of innovation, and he talked about creative thinking. And over on the far right, you can see that's a brain scan of someone who's engaged in creative thinking, and all the red and orange is where your brain's just light, lit up and thinking about things and dreaming of possibilities. And he contrasted that with when you're engaged in logical thinking, the middle one, which still a bit lit up, but, but less. And, and he wasn't actually talking about this, but he said, now I've got some really bad news for you. The one on the right, on the left here, is when you're locked in that fight or flight response, when you're stressed and fearful, and it's really low brain function and really small, and it's like, it feels like a lot of us have got trapped in that kind of, man, just getting through, I wonder what the next announcement's going to be, and something just to break out of that, and like, man, I'm dreaming of how we're going to go big in 2022, and, uh, and along with that, um, my wife and I lived in Christchurch during the earthquakes, and about a year after the earthquakes, they started talking about this thing of earthquake brain, and this, this is some research just published last year, so it's still there 10 years later, and it was like people just were forgetful and a bit numb and distracted, but also extreme emotional reactions and hypervigilance. And, and it was interesting, a year or so ago, my wife and I were just talking, and it's like, this feels like Christchurch 10 years ago, not earthquake brain, but COVID brain kind of. And, and it's like, yeah, we, we need a break out of that. And there's this whole thing this, this woman was saying, yeah, we need a break out of fear to start, start thinking logically, but then even beyond that, start to think about new possibilities. And so that's the kind of context that I want to talk about in a series, Go Big. I want to talk about the God of the impossible. Because once your thinking shifts to that, your brain is going to come alive, your spirit is going to come alive with, oh my goodness, I wonder what you could do this year, God. 
in my life and my world. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to look at, we're going to look at a significant passage about this. It's found in Genesis 18, and, and it's an incident with Abraham. And this is not one random story I've plucked out of the Bible. This is, like, this is a defining moment. Abraham is the father of faith, the father of uh, Jewish faith, and therefore the father of Christian faith. And this is a decisive moment in the launch of this whole trajectory of faith. And, and it just says this, the Lord appeared to Abraham near these great trees while he's sitting at the entrance to his tent. Abraham looked and saw three men standing. Uh, when he saw them, he hurried from the t- entrance to his tent to meet them. So he gathers these people in that are some kind of uh, encounter with God. And, and he prepares a meal for them. And then down a few verses, they ask a question. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, you need to understand the context of this. They were promised that they were going to have a child, and that would lead to um, having a, raising up a whole nation and possessing this land. And it's like they've been waiting almost 50 years for this. And, and now this, this encounter with God, he says, this is definitely happening next year. You've waited 50 years, but it is going to happen now. Now, I don't know about you, but we often talk about this thing with faith. Faith is like kind of holding this object out, and it's easy at the start. But after a while, it starts to feel heavy, not because of the weight, but because of the time you've held on to it. And it's like, yeah, in the first year, yeah, yeah, I believe this is going to be great. But, you know, the the years rolled on and the decades rolled on. And suddenly it's like, oh, my goodness, do I still believe? And you know, the concept of little faith is not about little amount, it's about of a short duration, like Peter walking on water. He had faith for a moment, but he couldn't sustain it. So here's the question for Sarah, like you've been, you've been holding this promise for 50 years and now God says, it's going to happen. We're launching this thing. I wonder what her response would be. And it says this, now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And here's the, here are the facts of their situation. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. It's physically impossible for them to have a child. So her response is this. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's kind of, the, it's kind of like the yeah, right laugh. It's like, yeah, right, God. Like, seriously, like, yeah, 50 years ago, I could have believed it, 30 years ago, 20, but now, yeah, right. And, and this laughter is really important to God because the next, the next verse is this, the Lord said to, Sarah, to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? And verse 14 is a key verse, is anything too hard for the Lord? You always know you're... Not in trouble, but you, you know if, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying, to, he's trying to evoke what's coming out of you. He's trying to draw something out of you. And we all know what the right answer we're supposed to give to that. Is anything too hard for God? It's like, no, but, but here's the question. Even right here today, 2022, what comes out of your heart? What's in the depths of your spirit with some dreams you've held, with some promises you've believed for, with some things that you saw for your future? And, and if God says, do you still believe? Is anything too hard for God? Is it like, oh, I don't know, God. I've, I've, I've believed and I've hoped and I, I've been disappointed. And, and, you know, and then that's when he said, I will return to you at the appointed time. There's so much in this. 
Yeah, there, there was a promise, but God has an appointed time for his promises to come to pass. And, and it's like, yeah, you had this promise 50 years ago, but now is the appointed time. And, and just to show you, this is a big deal. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Like God really, if this is the trajectory of, of Jewish and Christian faith, God wants to establish something now. He wants, to, he wants to break through on something down. Nothing is too hard for God. This question, is anything too hard for the Lord? He wants to put something in our spirit that says, no, God, nothing is too hard for you. What I hadn't realized when I read this is Sarah's not the first person to laugh at this promise. If you go back just the previous chapter, it says when Abraham was 99 years old, the, God, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. There's another key. How powerful is your God? How big is your God in your world? And, and God starts to unpack to Abraham this covenant that he's going to live under. Walk before me faithfully, be blameless, and I'll make a covenant between me and you. And so Abraham falls, falls down, and God starts to unpack the details of this thing. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. I, I carries on. As for you, you must keep my covenant. Abraham's all good with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it gets to Sarah. The same issue. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and will surely, notice this name, this surely, definitely, this is going to happen. I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will, so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Notice Abraham's response. Abraham fell down and he laughed. Same thing. And the same rationale, and said to himself, will a son be born to a man of 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And, and it's like, oh, God, that, like, that's in the too hard basket. And he has an interesting response. He said, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And, you know, he'd had this other son with this other woman. And he's like, he's like this. And I think we do this. It's like, do you know what? I could, I could kind of see that that could work. My best case scenario within the realms of possibility, you could take this boy that's already here and you could raise it. It's not quite what I was expecting, but, but I could see that. But this one, that, that's in the too hard basket. And I want to I kind of challenge you, like, what have you put in the too hard basket for God? Maybe you've got some children away from faith, and it's like, yeah, this one is kind of reasonably soft to it, and they just need an encounter with God, but I could see them coming back. But this one, they're, they're so anti-like, that could never happen. And, and that's the mindset that God wants to break, because as I said, this is the foundation for everything. I mean, Christians are people who believe that we got saved because a dead guy came back to life. We are people who believe that God became a baby in a manger. We are people who believe that people who are spiritually dead with an encounter with God's Word and His Spirit, they become spiritually alive. If we don't believe in a God of the impossible, we ain't got nothing. But we believe in that. In fact, we believe a third of our New Testament was written by a man who was the main opponent of faith and in a moment did a, did a complete turnaround, the Apostle Paul, and became the, the main apostle of salvation to Europe. Like we believe in the God of the impossible. And so, but the challenge is over time, eh? When the faith starts to drop a bit and to go, no, no, God, put that back in my heart. Here's the interesting, goes on. 
to say, yes, your, your wife Sarah will bury you a son and you'll call him Isaac. I don't know if you can see a little letter A at the end of Isaac. That's where this translation gives, uh, tells you what the name means. God told Abraham to call his son Isaac. What does Isaac mean? He laughs. See, this is a big issue. God wants to deal with the boundaries we've put around possibility. And, and, and he wants to change something. And then if you fast forward just a few chapters, you get the fulfillment of this promise, Genesis 21. And again, there's so much in here. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. We're not talking about some genie in a bottle God that you just rub it and he just gives you a wish and whatever you want. We're not talking about a fairy godmother God. We're talking about what he has said, what he has promised that you're still hanging on to. God, you, you promised me my family would be all together in faith. God, you promised me there's a call on my life. God, you said this. God, reawaken that. So it says, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son in his old age. This, at the very time God had promised him. These are all key things. It's about God's appointed time. It's about what he has promised, what he has said. And it says, Abraham gave him the name Isaac. And this is Sarah's response now. Isn't this amazing? Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh not at me, but with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Do you know what I think happened? This, about laughter. The laugh of disbelief, disappointment, disillusionment, hurt, and cynicism had turned into the laugh of delight and wonder at what God had done. And I believe God wants to do that transaction in all of us, in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit. Because this is the fountainhead of everything of faith. Is anything too hard for God if he said it, if he's promised it? I don't want to hide in the laughter of, yeah, right. I want to have the laugh of the wonder, oh my goodness, it's happened. What I believe for, what I hope for, what I dream for, what God said, it's actually happened. If you think I'm kind of overstating this a bit, I, I want to I read some stuff from a guy, Walter Brueggemann. He's a significant Old Testament scholar, and he writes in very kind of academic language, so I'll try and explain what he means in kind of normal English. But this is what he says about these passages. The narrative or the story proposes an alternative epistemology. That just means the whole way that we know anything is true and how we know and what we know and what is within the bounds of possibility. He says, this is not just a random incident of an of a, of a elderly woman having a child. This proposes a whole different way about thinking about what's real and what's possible in the world. And this criticizes every other way of knowing which accepts definitions of the possible given by the dominant culture. We've been raised in a Western world that defines what could happen. 100-year-old men do not have babies with their 90-year-old wife. But when you factor in the God of the impossible, see, what's in your world that your world tells you is beyond the realms of possibility, is outside your best-case scenario, but God said it and God promised it. And how does he want to challenge it? goes on to say, the response of the narrator and of Sarah, this, establish the incongruity. That means it's a complete mismatch between the known world of Abraham and Sarah. We know that we cannot have children and the anticipated reality of the speaker. At this time next year, you are going to have a child. You cannot reconcile those two. 
The promise of verse 10 is an assault upon their worldview, their epistemology, that's their way of knowing, and their definition of reality. The story, the narrative rejects those reigning definitions of what is possible. Come on, God wants to break up that little box that's been formed in your head and your heart and your spirit and has got smaller and more restricted over the last couple of years. God wants to break that open again and redefine what is possible. The question of pelah, that's the the Hebrew word for impossible or too difficult. This is a big statement, he says, poses the primary epistemology or knowing issue of Abrahamic faith. Like this is not a peripheral, this is the key issue. Because if God can cannot do anything, he couldn't save us from our sins. He couldn't bring spiritual new life to people. He couldn't change people's lives. But once we accept the God of the impossible is within our frame, anything is possible. Change is possible. Hope is possible. Freedom is possible. Because of this. And finally, in second sentence is a bit of a normal sentence. It asks whether the power of God is contained in the best assessment of worldly possibility. What's your best case scenario? Oh, well, I could kind of believe for this. God wants to smash that and go, have you factored in the God of the impossible? It says this, it asks if there is an identity or at least a correspondence between human imagination and divine gift. Not just what you see, but your best case that you could imagine. Does that define what God could do in your life? And he said, no. Or if there is a disjunction which expects from God even beyond human imagination, it asks about the freedom of God in the face of accepted definitions of reality. Where, you, where have you embraced what our world says limits your life? God is bigger than that. And an interesting kind of conclusion about this, the question, is anything too hard for God? The narrative does not answer it. Neither Sarah nor Abraham responds at all. But the question persists. And again, this is, a, this is a powerful sentence. And that question, put concretely and poignantly and even scandalously, is the question that Abraham tradition has unleashed on biblical faith. From Abraham onwards, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? That's the primary issue to wrestle with. That's why it's so good that we're saying go big. You know, he just finishes by talking about how this got locked into their psalms and hymns and songs and talks about this, uh, the song of Miriam, which is the song they sang, again, after a whole nation escaped from slavery, after plagues came down on their oppressors, after Moses parted the Red Sea. Like impossibilities. This is what they sung. Who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, terrible in glorious deeds, doing, this is a literal translation, doing impossibilities. More common translations say this. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in wonder, awesome in glory, working wonders. I stand with my jaw dropped in wonder. Like I cannot believe he's done it. Oh my goodness, what we held on to, it was impossible, but he's done it. He's brought that family member back to faith. They've had an encounter with God. That promise he gave me about business or about ministry, it's actually happening. If his language is all a bit flowery, Bill Johnson puts it real simple. You know your mind is renewed when the impossible looks logical. Why does it look logical? Because I've factored in the God of the impossible. So, of course, it could happen. 
Um, Walter Brueggemann said, this has got unleashed on the whole story of biblical faith. So you see this in the New Testament. You know, there's this uh, famous encounter where Jesus says to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples, like, they're just like, oh my goodness. Well, this is impossible then for anybody. Like, who could be saved? I love this verse 26. Jesus looked at them. Like he's really wanting to zero in on this. He's really wanting to challenge something because as we said, this is a key to faith. With man, this is impossible. But looking them in the eye, with God, all things are possible. Come on, how's your discipleship around this issue? I believe, I actually believe this may be impossible for people, but with God, all things are possible. Apostle Paul picks this up with his great prayer. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What are the limits around your imagination? Apostle Paul goes, God can do immeasurably more than you could even imagine. Come on, go big. Break out of the confines of what you think is possible. Start to dream again. Start to see wide open doors. Start to see opportunity because we serve the God of the impossible. Paul actually refers back to this incident with Abraham. He says this about it. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but this was strengthened in his faith. Where his faith had started to drop, it's like, no, no, I still believe. I still believe God. You promised. You promised me these things. You promised me those kids coming back to faith. You promised me a house. You promised me ministry. You promised me business. God, I believe you are the God of the impossible. I think we've seen this recently in New Zealand. Many of you know Pastor Paul DeYoung from Life Church was diagnosed with quite serious cancer a few months ago. And, you know, he said, yeah, these are the facts. But this was his little statement that they've run with as a church. But God. Yeah, this is what my world defines as possible. But I put God in that box of what's possible, and everything changed. Yeah, this is my reality, but God. Yeah, these kids seem far away from God, but God. Yeah, it seems like those ministry doors have closed, but God. Seems like business is hard. It looks like this business might even fail, but God. There's still a future. There's still a hope. I wonder where you need to be encouraged today to let God break open the box that you've put around your future, to, to Go big and to think with God, the God of the impossible in there, what could happen? So, you know, it's interesting when you look at this passage we've been looking at around this series, Isaiah 54, there's this whole thing. You know, you've got to enlarge these instructions, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, don't hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. It's like, get ready to go big, prepare to go big, make room to go big. But this is verse 2. And three, and verse two and three only happen because verse one has happened, which is a spiritual encounter. Sing, barren woman. This is an allusion back to this passage with Sarah. Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Here's another shout of joy. Here's another laugh. And I reckon between the laughter of disappointment and disillusionment, and the laugh of wonder, there's a laugh of faith. Like, oh my goodness, that's actually impossible, but God, you said it. I don't know how this is going to happen, 
but it is going to happen because you said it. And I pray that God would plant in you something today of this laugh of faith that goes, well, if you said it, God, I don't know how. I don't have to figure out. I don't have to navigate to make a way within what I define as possible. I just need to have faith that with you, nothing is impossible. And so it's going to happen. It's going to happen. When, you, when your time has come when, and when you say we're ready, it's going to happen. And this morning where that, where that laugh of faith has been robbed and it's dropped back into that yeah, right laughter, I pray it comes alive again. But there's something interesting also about this passage. And, and it's kind of where we're landing this series. You know, we've talked about a big God and how our thinking needs to get bigger. And we've talked about because of that, then we make room. But the final thing we're talking about is we grow younger. And if you look at this, here's the challenge for us. And here's where the Spirit wants to engage with our mind and our heart. Because if you notice, the whole context of going big is not so that I can enjoy a whole lot of stuff. It's because there's kids on the way. It's because there's another generation coming. You never bore a child. You are never, who are never in labor. More other children. There's children coming. There's another generation coming. We're not going big out of grandiosity. We're not going big out of building empire. We're going big because there's another wave coming. And we want to make room for them. And we want to think about that. And we want to understand a big God who thinks generationally. Now, even the next passage, you will spread out to the right and the left, your descendants. It's actually about what the next generation will do, not about what you will do. We get the privilege of having this adventure of faith and the joy of faith that creates room for what the next generation is going to do. And, and Jesus was pretty, pretty strong about this. It's not about us. It's not about you. You know, he told the story about a guy who was going to go big. He told this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place. So he thought, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go big. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, here's his motivation. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and marry. He was going big, but it was all about him. And Jesus' response, you fool. You fool. You fool. It's not about you because your very life will be demanded of you. What we need to be doing is being rich towards God, thinking about what God is doing and the next generation he's going to do. There's a famous passage in Malachi 4. In the English Bibles, it's the last verse of the Old Testament. This is the promise of the New Testament. This is looking forward to the fulfillment of what Jesus is about to do and then the outpouring of his Spirit. And this is what he says. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you, before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The turning point of a genuine New Testament move of God is this. A generation of people, their hearts go down to the next generation, and they go, it's actually not about me. It's about raising up this next generation. God, we want to go big. God, we want to create room. Not so we look good, but so there's something for the next generation to step into. You know, I love that this is so much part of Equipper's culture. Um, Pastor Bruce Monk wrote a book titled Pave the Way, subtitle 
embracing a life of legacy. I always knew that the next generation was a thing. I didn't realize it was the thing for equippers. It's all about this. You know, I had the privilege of going down for one night to Summer Revolution. You know, I love the fact, it's, not, it's just a given now that we have a movement amongst kind of 15, 16-year-olds, and now it's like, no, let's get the 11 and 12-year-olds in that space. Because it's all, man, we're constant. We're not just talking about old men. Oh, maybe that person in their 40s or 50s could go. It's like, no, no, we want a movement of 15 and 16-year-olds. So for that, we want a movement of 11 and 12-year-olds. And, and I, I attended the 5 p.m. service at the end of Summer Revolution. It was crazy back here at, at church. It was nuts. It was a whole service pitched at like 15-year-olds. Like, and it's like, this is the strength of who we are. And I love the fact that a, a, a young girl, uh, Hannah Cave, 16 years old, stood up, gave her testimony about Summer Revolution. And do you know what her main point was? Obviously, her family had gone sometime. She talked about seeing her six-year-old sister worshiping God. And I th- I'm pretty sure she explicitly said this phrase, it's great to see the next generation coming through. Like, that's nuts, right? When the 16-year-olds are excited about the six-year-olds coming through, that shows this is so deeply in our culture. And so, you know, when we think about the God of the impossible, when we think about going big, when we think about making room, when we think about our thinking changes, it's not about us. It's not like, oh, great, I'm going to get that million dollars. Oh, great, I'm going to have this platform ministry that the whole world, oh, great, I'm going to make all this business. It's like, No, God, you're going to use me to unleash something for the next generation. And I'm so excited to serve the release of the next generation. You know, I was thinking about this whole thing yesterday, and I I, I kind of want to say this prophetically. I literally heard this, this sound of bubbly voices, a massive crowd of bubbling, happy voices. I was like, what is that about? Do you know what I think it is? I think it's prophetically, it's the sound of the next generation coming through. That's going to be bigger. That's going to do things that we had only dreamed of. Maybe that's in your business. Maybe that's in a ministry. Maybe that's in church. But can I tell you, there's a wave coming. And so we don't go big for ourselves. We don't make space for ourselves. We're creating room for a story of the God of the impossible who's weaving his story throughout time, who's going big, who's reaching down, who's stepping down to a next generation. And I, I don't know, I feel God's presence talking about it. I pray you feel it if you're watching at home or, or wherever. It's like, man, I want to buy into this. God, I want to give my life to go big for a move of God a genuine New Testament revival where it's all about growing younger and releasing the next generation. Hey, I'd love to pray. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you're at that person who's in the year right laughter. Maybe God wants to just take you out of that and back to the laugh of faith. God, I I dare to believe because you said it. But I want you to reimagine the purpose of the laugh of faith. It's not so that you can get what you want. It's so that you can set up a move of God for the next generation. Increase, blessing, 
favor scale the sound of a wave of a whole lot of people being drawn into a move of God let's pray father we welcome your presence we thank you that you're here God I want to say with people I believe God I believe may that come out of everyone's spirit I believe I believe in a big God God, I break out of the confines of my thinking in these last couple of years. God, I start to make room. God, I start to feel the joy when I hear the sound and the spirit of another generation coming through. God, we believe. We believe. We believe for significant encounter. We believe for a significant wave of people coming to faith and salvation. And and God, we are going to need some buildings for that. And we are going to need strong businesses to be growing. And we are going to need significant new ministries. But it's all not about us. It's for another generation. And God, we say we welcome that. And we, we surrender to that. May you be exalted. Is anything too hard for God? No. Nothing is too hard for God. God bless you this morning.